I like to call him Mr. Blessing. This chapter of Jeremiah is not about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is in it. He's the prophet. He prophesies. But the prophecy of Jeremiah 45 is not for Jeremiah and only obliquely about Judah. The prophecy of Jeremiah 45 is a personal prophecy given to the guy I call Mr. Blessing, Baruch, son of Neriah. His name Baruch means blessing. This is not the first time that we've met Baruch in this book, but it will be the last. Baruch, son of Neriah, was Jeremiah's executive secretary. He was his administrative assistant. Baruch was the one who registered the deed for that field that Jeremiah bought from his crazy cousin Hanamel. Remember that? He's been Jeremiah's right-hand man for many years. He shows up at least four times in the whole book. What's the most famous thing Baruch ever did? The most famous thing Baruch ever did was write down the words of Jeremiah on the scroll. Do you remember the scroll? Chapter 36, we studied it together one month ago today. Jeremiah dictated 23 years worth of prophecies for Baruch to write down on a scroll. And then, you remember this? He read it. He got up in that room above the new gate of the temple, and then he read it out to the people. He read the whole thing, 23 years worth of prophecies. That was Mr. Blessing. You know what's fascinating? Baruch might be the only person in the Bible whom we have their fingerprint Some archaeologists believe that we might have the actual fingerprints of Baruch, son of Neriah, from some clay document markers potentially dated to this time period in the kingdom of Judah. They actually have his name on them and somebody's hardened fingerprint in the clay. Maybe Mr. Blessings. If you're a snack and yak kid, you might want to draw a picture of a fingerprint down there in the bottom right-hand corner. Or just a picture of Mr. Blessing himself. What do you think Mr. Blessing might have looked like? One thing we know about him was that at one time he was very, very sad. Baruch was very sad. And when he was this sad, the Lord sent Baruch a message through the prophet Jeremiah. And that became our chapter 45. It feels a little out of place. Did you notice that when you got to 45? You're like, wait, what's this? What's this little thing here? It's yet another flashback. It it doesn't flow historically out of chapter 44. It's not chronological. And chapter 46 starts something altogether different once again. 45 just sits there. A five little verse chapter stuck in a funny place. But there's probably a number of reasons why this is the place it's placed in our Bibles. For one, Baruch was just mentioned last week in chapter 43. The people of Judah who wanted to go to Egypt blamed Baruch for inciting Jeremiah to lie and to say that they should not go down to Egypt so that Babylon could grab them. This chapter reminds us that Mr. Blessing wasn't like that at all. He was no conspirator. He was faithful. He was truthful. The Lord speaks to him words of grace and encouragement. And this chapter also gets us set up for chapters 46 through 51 because it talks about what God is going to do throughout the land and on all people. 
And the next six chapters, starting next week, are about all people, the nations, and what God is going to do, not just with Judah, but with the nations. And this chapter also pulls up Paul Harvey and tells the rest of the story of Baruch, son of Neriah. By the end of chapter 44, we knew all about what happened to all five of the kings, and to Gedaliah, and to Jeremiah, and to his African friend Ebed-Melech, tying up those loose ends. This chapter gives us the final word on Mr. Blessing, who was Jeremiah's faithful scribe. So those are some of the possible reasons why chapter 45 is placed right here in our Bibles. What's really important is to understand what it says. And what it says is what Jeremiah the prophet told Baruch. Keith, did you steal my speech? Yeah, here it is. It's on the left side. Very good. That's all right. I'm sorry you're left-handed too. No, I'm just kidding. I love left-handed people. My wife is one of them. So, What Jeremiah the prophet told Baruch. That's our sermon title for today. Where do I get it? I get it from verse 1. Look at it with me, if you will. Chapter 45, verse 1. This is what Jeremiah the prophet told Baruch, son of Neriah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, after Baruch had written on a scroll the words Jeremiah was then dictating. I'll stop there for a second. Do you see when this was? When this happened? This was from the big event of 605 B.C., This is the big event from chapter 36 that we studied a month ago. It's still almost 20 years before the fall of Jerusalem that we've been reading about the last couple of weeks in the book of failures. This is a flashback to the reign of wicked King Jehoiakim when Baruch was so sad. Because it's from the very time when Baruch had scribbled the words of Jeremiah on the scroll. Do you remember what happened to the scroll? Do you remember from a month ago? I had one of Keith's little papyrus bookmarks with me. You remember what I did to it? How I tore it up? Jehoiakim happened to that scroll, right? He made his assistant Jehudi read every single word of it, and then he cut it up with his penknife, roll by roll, and he burnt the scroll in the fire. It was wintertime, and King Jehoiakim warmed himself by burning Baruch's handwritten copy of the prophecy of Jeremiah in his fireplace. And where was Baruch at that moment? Anybody remember? Where was Baruch when they burnt his scroll? He was in hiding. They didn't want the king to know where Baruch was, or he might have been cut up and burnt up too. I think that's one of the reasons why Baruch was so sad. You would be too. Anybody here ever had something you've made, lost, or destroyed? Raise your hand. Something you made, lost, or destroyed? I have written entire sermons and pressed delete at the wrong time. Jesus saves his work. We should save ours too, right? (laughs) It's even worse if somebody stole the thing you made and then destroyed it. This was a scroll with 23 years' worth of prophecies inscribed on it. It was the only copy in existence of the words of Jeremiah. It was handwritten, and it was up in smoke, deliberately. But I think there may have been an even deeper reason. 
why Mr. Blessing was so sad. I think, I think it was sad just to think about what was written on the scroll itself. The words, the message. His boss, Jeremiah, was a broken what? What have I said about 3,000 times? A broken record about a broken covenant and the broken nation and the burnt city that was going to come of it. That's what Baruch had to write down. Sentence after sentence, 23 years worth of repent. Why won't you repent? If you keep doing what you're doing, then judgment's going to fall. Exile is on the way. You're breaking the covenant. You're, you're worshiping other gods. Repent. You're not going to repent. Jerusalem will be destroyed. 23 years of that. For the last 10 months, we've been reading these words just once a week. Imagine having to write them out longhand as they were coming from the mouth of Jeremiah and think about them and then see them lived right before your eyes and nobody listens to them. Year after year, the same message, the same lack of repentance and the same judgment coming on the way. Of course Baruch is sad. It's really hard to be a faithful prophet in a day of decline. We've seen that, right? Well, what must it have been like to be the assistant of a faithful prophet in a day like this? It had to hurt. It had to wear you out. Think about all the times that Baruch was there near Jeremiah in his suffering. Sometimes his boss was in prison by himself, and Baruch's like, what am I supposed to be doing? He was down in the cistern, stuck in the mud, and Baruch's like, Is he going to die? Other times, Baruch was right there with him in prison, taking notes. The time when he read the prophecy, it wasn't because Jeremiah didn't want to read it. It's because Jeremiah wasn't allowed out. So Baruch read it. Sometimes they had to go on the run together and hide from the wicked king. Later on, they were both taken hostage and drug off to Egypt against their wills. And blame for the trouble of it. And all along, nobody read their book. And when they read their book, they burned it. No wonder he was sad. Jeremiah was sad, and so was Mr. Blessing. And apparently, Baruch expressed that deep sorrow, either to Jeremiah or to the Lord, or maybe both. And then the Lord answered him through Jeremiah. I've been saying all week that this sermon is what Jerry told Barry, right? What Jeremiah told Baruch. What do you think his message is going to be? What, what, what do you think that the Lord might have to say to Baruch when he was so down? It might surprise you. I've got three brief statements to summarize it, and they all apply to us today too. Here's number one. The Lord knows your pain. Baruch, the Lord knows your pain. 
Look with me at verse 2. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Baruch. You said, woe to me. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am worn out with groaning and find no rest. Do you feel how he feels? That's a lot of pain in one verse. Look at all the pain words. Woe, sorrow, pain, worn out, groaning, no rest. Do you feel it? That's heavy. Baruch was miserable. He did not feel like Mr. Blessing. The Net Bible translates, woe to me, I feel so hopeless. This being an assistant to the prophet is hard work. There's a real cost here. I hate Jeremiah's message that I have to write down. It's true, but it's so heavy. And they never listen. And they burn it. I'm just so tired of it. And just think, this is 20 years before the fall of Jerusalem. He's this worn out in 605 B.C. How's he going to feel in 586? He even puts the blame on God. You said, woe to me, the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. It's not that he's necessarily saying that the sovereign God is bad. Just that the sovereign God has allowed a boatload of pain to sail into his life. And he has. It hurts. It's heavy. But the Lord knows about his pain. He's heard him. We see that in verse 3. We would not know that Baruch was hurting if the Lord didn't tell us. Right? And he knows what it feels like himself. Look at verse 4. The Lord said this to him, say this to him, this is what the Lord says, I will overthrow what I have built and uproot what I have planted throughout the land. What's that mean? How's that an answer to Baruch's lament? I think Yahweh is saying, yes, you do have pain. It does hurt. It is legitimate. There is a terrible thing going to happen. In fact, I feel it so to speak, even more deeply than you do. Notice he says, I will overthrow what I have built and uproot, there's our word, right? Our whole series is uproot. I will uproot what I have planted. How's the Lord feel? What's he talking about? He's talking about his beloved people. He's talking about his beloved Judah. He's talking about his beloved Jerusalem. He has built it up. He has planted it. And now in his perfect holiness, he has to destroy it. Yahweh has to tear it down and pull it up by the roots. Now on an ultimate level, God is impassable and cannot be hurt. He is completely blessed, full of eternal happiness that nothing can shake. We had a whole wonderful lecture on that glorious truth at the EFC Theology Conference last month. But God allows himself to be pictured as injured by the sins of his people. And he allows himself to be truly described as grieving over the destruction of his beloved city. He knows pain. And when he came as a man, then he experienced pain in a whole other way. 
Jesus Christ experienced all the same kinds of suffering that Baruch did, fully human. And everyone who wants to be faithful to the Lord will experience suffering. Jesus Christ suffered and died on a cruel instrument of torture and death. He knows pain. Do you need to hear that this morning? Maybe you're experiencing suffering right now because you are faithfully following Jesus Christ. Here you are trying to do what is right and nothing goes right for you. So many are against you. It can be really hard to be faithful. Are you tired? That's one of the reasons why we're studying the book of Jeremiah, to see how following the Lord often comes with a high price tag. He's not called the weeping prophet for nothing. And here we have his weeping prophetic assistant. And our Lord Jesus wept, didn't he? Shortest verse in the Bible, the one every kid likes to memorize, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. There he was weeping over death. But in the other Gospels, he weeps over Jerusalem, the same group of people. He was hurt by their rejection. And if they rejected him, how do we think we're going to escape rejection? Jesus said, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. He knows the pain. And he knows best. That's point number two of three. Snack and yak kids, you might want to put these sentences on one of those three lines on the handout. The first was, the Lord knows your pain. The second is, the Lord knows best. The Lord wants us to accept his good plan, even though it's hard. Look at verse 5. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For I will bring disaster on all people, declares the Lord. But wherever you go, I will let you escape with your life. Again, these are, this is what Jeremiah the prophet told Baruch, son of Neriah. It sounds to me like the Lord is gently rebuking Baruch. Baruch probably had some aspirations and ambitions that were going to need to be dashed. His grandfather, Maaseah, was the mayor of Jerusalem back when Josiah was the king. His brother, Sariah, was a staff officer for King Zedekiah. Baruch came from a notable family full of leaders, the ruling class. Baruch probably expected to be a leader himself one day. Maybe he'd be the next prophet. Maybe kings would turn to him for a word of counsel and a word from God. But here he is 23 years into his career and nobody listens to him. He read his book to the people and there was no repentance. No revival started. He was not the next Billy Graham. Maybe that's part of why he was sad. And the Lord is saying to him, it's okay, you don't have to be a somebody. You don't have to be an influencer. You don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to be a boss. You don't have to be a big shot. The Lord is saying to him, all of that is up to me. 
don't say, seek great things for yourself because your life is not about you. Seek them not. What did our Lord Jesus say? Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Not our kingdom. Not our righteousness. One of the things that I love about my upcoming sabbatical is how it reminds me that this church is not my church. It's not even your church. It's God's church. Somebody asked me this week at Stay Sharp how I will keep from worrying about my church while I'm away from church this summer. Of course, I'm really good at not worrying. <laughs> uh-huh. But I, I, I'm sure I won't do it perfectly. But I'm going to be saying to myself, it's not my church. We are not here to seek Pastor Matt's kingdom. We are seeking the Lord's kingdom and the Lord's righteousness. It's a great check to our ambitions. Should you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. However, this sentence could, could mean something else instead. The Hebrew could be translated something like, should you, by yourself, seek great things for Judah, so to speak? In other words, should you pray, Baruch, that all these things I have said I would do to Judah, that you've written down, would not come to pass? Should you pray that I would be even more patient with Judah's sins and rescue them from Babylon one more time? Those could be great things. Should you seek them? He's saying, no, seek them not. For I will bring disaster on all people, declares the Lord. In that reading of the Hebrew, he's saying, don't bother praying for even more patience. If they will not repent, I will pour out the boiling pot and bring my scalding justice on Judah. And not just on Judah, but on all rebellious people, on the nations. That's what we're going to see, Lord willing, next Sunday. He has judgment waiting for his own people and all who stand in rebellion against him. Because he knows best. His plans are perfect, even the ones that are hard to accept. Disaster is on the way for Jerusalem. There's no good news to share, not in the short run. In the long run, there's all kinds of good things that we learned are coming back in the book of Hope, chapters 29 through 33. The plans the Lord has for his people, plans for shalom, plans for a future. The great reversal one day of all of these judgments, the new covenant that will be ratified with Jesus' blood and symbolized at this table. In the long run, there's lots of good news. But in the short run, during Baruch's life, just disaster. And that's right. That's good. The Lord knows best. You and I can accept whatever comes from the Lord's hands, even the hardest stuff, because we know that he is all wise, all good, and perfectly just. He knows best. Do you believe that? The Lord knows best. And the Lord promises to bless. That's the third and last point. Snacking yak kids, you might want to write that down. The Lord promises to bless. In the last few words, Jeremiah told Baruch that in spite of everything else going wrong around them, the Lord was going to bless Baruch 
with long life. Look at verse 5 one last time. But wherever you go, I will let you, Baruch, escape with your life. Now, that doesn't sound like much. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, but you're going to live to see it. Great. But think about all the death and destruction around him, and Baruch makes it through it all. It's the exact same thing that the Lord promised to Ebed-Melech because he trusted in, in the Lord and rescued Jeremiah from the muddy cistern. The words are literally, escape with your life as a prize of war. You're going to go through a battle, and what you will win is your own life. Not much else, but that's something in this situation. And friends, the Lord kept that promise. You know he's into keeping promises? Baruch lived through the time when he was hiding from Jehoiakim. Baruch lived through the time when his boss was in prison and everybody hated him. Baruch lived through the time he was accused of pulling the strings to turn the people over to Babylon. Baruch lived through the time when he was a hostage in Egypt. Wherever you go, I will let you escape with your life. Some scholars believe that after Jeremiah died in Egypt, Baruch might have made it back to Jerusalem or even joined the exiles in Babylon. Baruch was faithful. He stayed faithful. He kept doing his small part. He kept putting one foot in front of the other, even through the slog, even through the fatigue, even through the pain and exhaustion. One commentator I read this week said, we all like to sing, dare to be a Daniel. You like that one? Dare to be a Daniel, right? But the real challenge is, can we bear to be a Baruch? Baruch did, and he was blessed. He got to keep his life. And more than that, he was blessed to be used by God for all future generations. Because look what we're doing right now in this room, right? We're reading the book of Jeremiah. Where'd we get this? How come we have this thing in our hands today? Remember chapter 36? They burned the scroll. It was all gone. But what did God say next? He said, write it down again, Baruch. I'm going to give all the words to Jeremiah, and I'm going to throw in some more words. You write them down. The very reason why we have the book of Jeremiah to read today in our Bibles is because of Baruch, son of Neriah, slogging away through the sorrow, through the pain, through the groaning, through the exhaustion. He rewrote the book of Jeremiah and kept it safe on all of his journeys. The Lord gave him his life, and he carried that scroll everywhere he went. And now we have it. Baruch sought first the kingdom. And what did Jesus say would happen if we didn't seek for ourselves but we sought the kingdom? All these things will be given to you as well. Great things for Baruch. He got his life and he got the gratefulness of all generations of believers who are reading the book of Jeremiah for ourselves today. I guess that's a good reason that we might call him Mr. Blessing. Blessing.